Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Happy Friday, everybody. It is a beautiful end of September here in Seattle. We are finally getting rain and most people don't like rain, but here in Seattle, we love it. So I'm having a good day. Uh, today, we have a special guest in the short-term rental mark uh, asset class in Seif Kafagi with uh, with Techvestors, Techvestor. I am super excited to jump into this. Seif has a lot of experience in this uh, in this asset class. So Seif, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gabe. Absolutely. Um, I told you right before we got on here, we like to start with stories. So take us to the beginning of your story. How'd you get started with real estate? Yeah, I was uh, I was working in tech. I spent five years at Facebook. And you know, for me, it was a, hey, I live in California and I have a privileged position at working in this job that I make a little bit too much money where the government likes to take too much. Um, and, you know, while I appreciate a lot of Uncle Sam's efforts, I didn't want to share the pie as much as I was sharing it at the time. So I started looking into uh, how I can lower that rate. And real estate became really interesting to me for a variety of reasons, specifically tax benefits, uh, syndications, multifamily, and all those types of things. Um Short-term rentals in itself didn't come until a little bit later because part of my job at Facebook was opening up new offices and finding uh, finding ways to attract talent to, to new locations. And I would test out new markets by living in that market for a little bit, um, you know, whether it's a week or six weeks or somewhere in that range and testing it out a little bit and understanding why someone would want to move to Seattle, for example. Um, and I was like, man, these Airbnbs suck, these single-family homes. And I was like, why do they suck so much? Um, and then that's kind of where the interest would at least begin in, in, in the area of short-term rentals. And everything that I understood and took away from my tech day is kind of really applied because short-term rentals aren't supposed to scale, but that's the exact thing that we've been able to, I think, accomplish fairly well so far is scaling short-term rentals. Uh, I would say, you know, two years and 120 properties or so later, we've found a way to to get there. Yeah, I mean, I'd say 120 properties. That's definitely uh, you found the found the key. So good job on that. Um, it's funny you were the first person to hop on this podcast who got into real estate for the tax benefits. Um, Interesting. That's obviously- really surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it's a big benefit. Obviously, no, not many people specifically talk about the taxes. Like they they're interested in real estate because of the tax depreciation that you can claim on your on your uh, you, you know your W two income. Um, but it makes a lot of sense, especially if you're a high earner in uh, from your corporate job, from you know whatever what other other job you have, to get into real estate for those benefits. So, yeah, you're the first one. That's uh, we're on episode. I don't even know. We're probably nearing 400, 500 right now. So you're you're one of a million there. Um, when you got started in short term rentals, how did you? You know, you'd been flying around. You were for Facebook. You know, you were looking at different markets seeing these properties, realizing like these people are not doing it right. This is not a good short-term rental experience. I can do this better. Um, How did you pick your first market to dive into to buy your own? Yeah. So I actually, I reached out to Sabrina who I'd known for a bit and she was working at Apple at the time. I knew she had owned some of her own Airbnbs. And I was like, Hey, let me give you some money because I have some of that and let's go find some properties to run and own. And 
we actually had a joint goal of owning eight properties together. And that would allow us to have some sort of element of tax benefits, financial freedom, and those types of things. And, you know, own them around the country in areas where maybe we had an interest in going to, to visit, right? You know, there's also that ability to use them. And when we started looking for markets, this was 2021. I mean, the real estate market was on fire, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if you if you didn't know, oh yeah, if you didn't know what the property was coming on market, like you were already late. Right. Like it was, it was, it was just a crazy time. You know, highest and best was probably the most common thing that I heard that year in terms of a saying. And we wanted to have a, a little bit of a, a different approach. So, you know, we couldn't get to deals fast enough. So we actually built software at the time for ourselves. We were like, let's underwrite properties at scale because, you know, that's how two techies think. Um, and our tool ended up being a tool that we would sell to others because we couldn't get, we couldn't find eight of our own fast enough, to be honest with you. Um, especially that met our underwriting criteria. And so we sold the tool and people would find a property, but then they would leave us after they found a property. You know, the churn and software don't go well together. So we transitioned over to a uh, managed service where we used our own tool to find properties for other people and help manage it and, you know, stand it up and do those types of things. And we were on a Zoom, just like you and I are kind of on one right now recording this podcast. And, you know, people were like almost jealous of everyone else's uh, Airbnb and when we were, we were, we had about eight of our investors on the zoom and we decided to ask them, well, why don't we just roll this into a portfolio? Right. And, uh, everyone really loved the idea. We had instant buy-in and, you know, three days later we launched a friend's family and, you know, some coworkers and we raised 7 million bucks in 30 days. And we were like, okay, clearly the, uh, product market fit isn't being there passive. Is desire, yeah. yeah, there is desire. And so what we learned throughout that experience is that the, you know what we wanted for an Airbnb was actually very different than the what investors wanted for an Airbnb, and I think we even learned more about what we wanted and, and what and what would be a, a good investment property that's in an Airbnb. Right, so we transitioned away from thinking about usage and thinking of it as who's visiting this market because if our properties are doing well, we can travel wherever we want to go, right? Spend the money and, and go from there. So we wanted to find the best profitable properties, but also ones that could sustain long trends, right? We had an eight-year North Star. How could we amenitize them? How could we add technology? How could we understand how to improve them? Um, how could we make sure the guest experience was top tier? Um, and a lot of that starts with a lot of data um, and understanding what that data can tell us is, is a really powerful thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's So you guys, um, sounds like you started, you know, your first KPI that you're looking for is a market that, or I guess, tell me what were the specifics that you're looking for when you were choosing a market? Yeah. I mean, back then I think we were looking, I mean, interest rates were a completely different game, right? In 2021 compared to say 2023. Um, but high level, we were looking for, can we get a, you know, 17 to 21% price to rent ratio? That was kind of like the first thing, right? And that was right then and there, you were almost... Uh, uh, dive into that a little bit more. Explain, yeah, so explain that. So if you're buying a half million dollar property, right, 500 grand, you want to be able to do $100,000 in gross revenue, right? That hits your 20% mark. And you know how in long-term rentals, you have the 1% rule, as many people have called it in the past. This is our 20% rule. And those are actually pretty hard to find because you have to make inferences in the data as to if a market is only hitting a 13, can you get it to a 20? Do you go off of that? Do you only enter a market that's already hitting a 20 and therefore make it better? I mean, in the early days, you didn't have enough data. Today, I can tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, which markets are significantly higher likelihood to do that because we have 
data in general. We have first level data and we have over a hundred of our own properties with all that data that comes right through, right? So just, we've become stronger from a data and technology perspective over time. Um, and you just can't, you can't accelerate that process, right? Without first level data, but uh, you look for that. Obviously you got to look at regulation, right? Um, you, know, you know, New York being the most recent one that banned Airbnbs. We don't buy in like these tier one metros. Yeah. Um, and and we hear this all the time. People are like, oh, Airbnbs aren't legal or they're going to die. And I'm like, well, which mass media outlet are you listening to, right? Because if you're looking at Airbnbs in New York or San Francisco or Miami or those types of things, like first and foremost, the numbers don't make sense to be quite honest with you. But let's just say you do, right? Um, you know, you wouldn't enter those anyways. The regulations uh, are, aren't favorable, right? We only buy in two types of markets where they there's regulation that already exists for pro-regulation um, or two, that it's by right, right? And that's usually like a state legislature type thing, like in the state of Arizona. So when you think about those types of things on regulation and price to rent ratio, your next thing you want to ask yourself is what's the ideal type of product you want to buy in this market, right? Um, it could be a four bedroom. I'll give you an example in one of our markets. It's a four bedroom or larger with a pool on a certain acreage of a lot that has the ability to hold X, Y, Z amenities. Interesting. Right? Four bedroom, that's, that's the buy box. Bigger than I would think that you'd, you'd be looking for for a short-term rental. Well, so there's a reason for that, right? If you look at the data and you know our, our hypothesis and it's been proven so far in our last 100 plus doors is we don't compete with hotels. Hotels are a race to zero, right? We optimize for the larger group, the seven, eight plus group. Have you ever gone to a hotel in the state of eight people? What happens, right? Instantly you walk into the hotel and everyone splits. You have to, right? There's that physical dimension of space. Not to mention that hotels can always win on price, right? Um, but they can't win on experience and amenities and the experience. And I'll tell you why. If you have a group of eight people in a four bedroom plus house, and I have the amenities with a pool and the pickleball court and a golf simulator and all these things, hotel can't give you what they can give you in those late night game nights happening right there in that living room with you and your family, right? So naturally you're going to win right there. And the areas where we're investing in, these homes are also typically harder to reach for your average investor. So it gives us an even further competitive moat. It also allows us for us to to reach just by price point, right? So our average home that we're buying is a 500 to $600,000 home across the country um, that we're putting in 150 to $200,000. And when you think about renovations, furniture, fixtures, um, you know, bringing it up to par because we're purpose designing and purpose building for the return profile that we're optimizing for. Right. So if you think about how much cash you need to do that deal, right? Um, most investors, especially if they haven't done this before, are unlikely to go drop a quarter million dollars on, you know, essentially the type of product that we're optimizing. However, that type of product is actually one that's highest in demand among Airbnb consumers, right? Because when you look at when you look at demand uh, and hospitality, anything that's going to be two bedrooms and less is also going to instantly compete with hotels, right? And hotel volume, uh, three bedrooms, you start getting a little bit of separation, just a tad four bedrooms, you start getting significant separation, right? Where demand is far exceeding supply, especially in the markets where we're in. And when people talk about Airbnb bust, I'm like, well, sure. If you look at mass data and mass supply, there's an influx of supply, but what kind of supply? Yeah, what kind of supply is hitting the condos, market? Those one bed condos. Yeah. Definitely. You know, and what market, right? I mean, most real estate is hyper local. Right? I don't treat my markets on the East Coast as the same as my markets on the West Coast, right? Those are different seasonality trends, different travelers. I mean, there's such a nuance as to understanding Airbnbs in general and what happens and how to get them to, to rank well. And it's a lot of 
things that most mom and pops don't do in this space. Yeah. Um, so when it comes, I mean, you were just talking about renovations, you guys usually put in, you know, 150 to 200 into the property when you buy it. What are the main changes that you make to the property to make it, you know, really attractive to Airbnb guests who have families, have groups of friends coming to these places? Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to depend highly by market, right? Like we have markets where like decking out game rooms and movie theaters are way more important than dropping in pickleball courts and golf simulators and basketball courts and <laughs> outdoor bowling and, it's a you know, disc golf. It is weird how pickleball has all of a sudden become like a national, national oh, yeah. sport. Hey, I'm game. a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm fun. a player. I'm not it's it. I love pickleball. Yeah. And we did a, we did a boys trip actually. And we stayed a boys trip with, um, with some people on our team and um, we ended up staying at one of our Airbnbs and the best thing that everyone did, they were all playing pickleball. Like and whether <laughs> they played it before or not, like it was just, it's just an insane thing. So, That's and cool. like, you know, we understand the ROI of those types of things, right? Whether it's that or other amenities, but it also just depends on like the dynamic of who's coming. Like we have in one of our markets in where we own in really two primary locations in that market, which are about 15 minutes away, the avatar of who visits those homes, the, the consumer is actually wildly different, mm, right? And so you wouldn't drop a pickleball court in one of those, but you would drop a pickleball court in the other, right? And even the physical infrastructure of what that lot allows for in one location that's 15 minutes away doesn't allow for that here, right? And so that's how hyper-local Airbnbs can get. But those are some of the types of amenities we've done. We've done you know, we've decked out, we've literally, right now we're building a few unique things, which is a double bunk bedroom with like three slides coming out of it for kids, <laughs> right? Another one we're doing right now is a complete indoor playground. So I have two kids myself and, yeah. um, you know, one thing that, you know, we faced at least here at times during say like the summertime is it's really hot outside to let kids play around. So we're literally building an air conditioned playground in one of the garages and reconverting it in one of our Airbnbs. Uh, it's a hypothesis of a test, but for the ROI that we believe will drive out of it from the demand that we're seeing early, I think it's going to be, it's going to be uh, profitable. Um, and then a third one we're doing is we're building a mini city in the backyard for kids. Like it's going to have a oh, track yeah. and okay. it's going to have, you know, you can, go into a, and go into a the bank <laughs> yeah right and cool. like experience that so like those are the that types sounds... of unique things that we do that make us a little different yeah and it sounds very family oriented you're really especially oh, yeah. in these markets you're really focused on attracting the families who are going yeah. on vacation with their kids um to come and stay at these houses big part we do is definitely geared towards families and groups and that's another differentiator that we have again if you're again i'm, I'm a father of two and if you try to take two kids to a hotel room like what are they going to do in that room like you almost have to take them downstairs which most hotels aren't built for that right um or actually take them outside of the hotel right into to some other location so we gear towards families we gear towards groups um also post covid mobility is bigger and easier than ever right you know it's like if you wanted to get away for the weekend the ability to do that today versus four years ago is night and day right for the average consumer so you uh you've already mentioned that you don't really invest in primary markets um how far away from a primary market do you look at so if you're i mean take charlotte for example do you go to Asheville? Do you go to how far away are you looking? Are you looking secondary, tertiary, or does it not even matter how close it is to a main market? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's actually a huge part of our thesis. So 100% of the markets we invest in are drive to destinations, um, as well as fly to destinations, right? From major metros. 
And that's a huge part of our thesis. We're we're within 95% of the U.S. population within a four to six hour drive, um, if not maybe a one or two hour flight in the markets that we're in. Not only are these places that people travel across the country to go visit, these are also places that if I'm in, you know, we have a market, uh, the Poconos, for example, on the East Coast, you know, if I'm in D.C., if I'm in Boston, if I'm in New York, these are things that I can get to really easily. If I'm in Clearwater, I can get to from places like Orlando and Tampa, um, Panama City Beach, right? Um, you know, Scottsdale, Arizona on the West Coast, right? These are areas where a lot of people can get to, whether it's a short flight or a short drive, uh, getting to pretty quickly. So the reason that that matters is we also believe people have, and we saw this with COVID, is the dispersion of space naturally happened away from large cities. And I think that'll continue to happen a little bit, especially over time, especially with housing and types of those types of things and opportunities becoming more distributed than ever. So all these advantages actually... You know, we talk about in the media is how there's technology advances, you know, dispersion of humans, dispersion of mobility. At the end of the day, the U.S. and the world that we live in is a world that's physical, right? And physical absolutely has an advantage or a disadvantage depending on what happens in non-physical elements and where I think we're seeing the benefits in the STR world. Nice. Well, it sounds like you guys are doing great. Love to hear that. Um, before we go on in the quick question lap round last question i have for you is what's your goals for net what's your next goals what are you guys uh shooting at yeah so today we've raised about you know 65 million or so you know 120 doors or so um but next year we're you know 2024 is is our hope is to continue doing what we do here on the passive side helping people break into short-term rentals and making it super easy but potentially even opening up our own tools you know to other airbnb hosts we want to see other people succeed um, utilize that data, utilize those advantages, and most importantly, provide really fantastic experiences to guests across the country. So we may hopefully release some of our tools that we built in-house. Cool. Right on. All right, man. Well, that wraps it up. It's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Ready for it. Let's do it. Starts with education. Um, it can be any form of education, books, movies, YouTube channels, you name it. Uh, I need two recommendations, one for general life wisdom, and then one for real estate specific. Atomic habits for general life, I think, is a is a really important one. I don't even want to say like good one. I think it's an important one. Yeah. Um, I think it puts things in the perspective. uh, Yeah. The number one recommended book is through uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, obviously, because this is a real (laughs) estate podcast. But Atomic Habits, I think, might come in as the number two most recommended book on this channel. Um, Yeah. I've read it. It's a good one. So it's interesting that you said that. Yeah, I think it's. I think it applies in many ways to general and life. And all those types of things. And then actually the, the second one you said is real estate. Yeah. So I view real estate a little differently just because we're building like this consumer brand and consumer approach to, to what we do. So um, one thing that's important to me is actually this, a book called Made to Stick. And it's all yeah. about your ability to get concepts through to a changing world. Right. So those are things um, that are really interesting to us in the real estate space. Nice. I love it. And made to sick. That was, who's the author of that one again? Um, I have a bookshelf actually over here, but I don't yeah. remember that one. It is a ship and Daniel actually. So looking at my, uh, my bookshelf. Right on. All right. Next question is for your younger self. So let's go back to the thief who is still, he just got his, uh, his job offer at Facebook. Go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Start way sooner than you did. 
<laughs> like by by far. I mean, I've probably started as late as I could. Um, and, you know, I think it was the right time, right place for me. But it was, you know, if I could try to accelerate that process, I think I was fearful of a lot of things naturally, like anyone else would be. But if you could overcome that, I think you know, the potential is there. Yeah, and that's been echoed across many, many episodes. So if anybody out there is listening, if you just got started, you know, you just got your job in corporate, um, take heed to these words because I don't know how many people have said this, including myself. I wish I got started sooner. So go out there. It doesn't matter what you buy, single, you know, single family rental, short-term rental, whatever, just get your first deal done and you will you'll not regret it in the future. So um, good advice for your younger self. That moves us to the next question. And this is for your business. Uh, the first three positions we hire form the foundation of our business. So what were they for you? And would you do it differently if you did it again today? Yeah, we took a different approach completely. And I had the privilege of, you know, Sabrina and I, when we started this business and we had my, you know, my best friend uh, was our head of finance to begin with. And our head of revenue is, you know, also someone I knew in the industry. The first three things we hired for in our space was a head of acquisition, um a head of data um and then I'm trying to think of what the third one was uh oh and then a head of guest experience right those are the three things the reason it came in that order and ironically all three came at a time when we didn't need them we actually came across really great talent really great people and that's an ethos that we have as a business is when you come across great people, figure out where they go later, assuming you can stomach the the cost of hiring them. Um, and after having spent five years at Facebook growing teams, like I can tell you one thing that tech companies like Facebook do incredibly well, and I think it's their secret advantage. Not only do they just hire well, and that's just a blanket statement, they hire with, without the intent, intent of knowing what that person will accomplish. And I think that's a very big mindset shift compared to most business owners, right? Like we hire someone with the intent of knowing what we need them to do versus bringing in really great talent and helping them understand what this person is capable of, right? That's a very different mindset approach. And I think that's a big thing that we do here is hire really great talent and then figure out what happens from there. Yeah. Yeah. If you you have a talented person on your team that gets along well with everybody and they fit in well, then I mean they can learn any skill they need uh, need to do. Um, so yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. That moves us to the next question. This is uh, this is going to be an interesting one for you guys because you are so geographically dispersed. But the U.S. is a big place. There's a lot of opportunity. Give me the single metro, the single you know city that you're most excited about investing in today. That's a tough one. <laughs> that's a really tough one. Um, I think something that's really, we actually haven't entered it, but it's really interesting to me is the outskirts of Asheville, North Carolina, mm. right? Uh, there's like six, there's six second tier, like what we'd identify as second tier markets outside of Asheville. Um, and Asheville is slowly relaxing their short-term rental regulations in the central area of Asheville. And if they take that approach and actually make it legal there, I wonder what will happen around those tertiary markets that actually have contributed and benefited um, quite a bit from the ban of being in the heart of Asheville. So I'm curious about it. I'm excited about it because I think it's interesting to understand those reverse dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Asheville, um, I'm actually looking at a couple of properties out, not in Asheville, but in that area. So 
there's definitely a lot of potential out there um, anywhere in North Carolina, South Carolina is just booming. So good, uh, good suggestion moves us to the next question. And this is about your gifts. We are all given gifts that we uniquely provide this world. So what is your Superman strength? 100% it's hiring. I mean, I spent five years doing that growing thousand person plus organizations. And, you know, it's, I am this, I am the dumbest person in the room on my team, but I'm able to bring them together. So we have the smartest team to begin with, right? That's, that's, uh, and the most powerful thing you can do is, is have great people, especially in real estate. You know, real estate is local, it's people, it's process. You know, you can definitely improve things with technology. Don't get me wrong when we do that. But at the end of the day, technology helps, doesn't solve. Yep. Love that. All right. Second to last question. And this is about a time that shit hit the fan. So give me a lesson you learned through a deal gone sideways. Paid $150,000 to a contractor who didn't do the work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, that was a tough one. We ended up recovering all of it, luckily. Um, But that was a terrifying time in our business because we're like, oh, fuck (laughs) right like what just happened and this is this is the challenges of doing things remotely at the time right uh because you don't have perfect eyes on things i mean today we have boots on the ground in all our markets with technology and visualizations and checkpoints and process and lots of other things to make sure that stuff doesn't happen but at the time we were just so young naive and you know moving so fast like most young companies do we were like Holy shit. We didn't realize it until one of us was in the market. We tried to go in the house and we were like, where's our floors? <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's something we laugh about today. But <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big lesson learned. And uh, it just goes to show finding a good contractor. Once you do find them in a market that you want to stay in, treat that person like gold because contractors, the good ones are hard to come by. Um, so you got uh, you got to really give them uh, give them some love because they deserve it. Um, uh, one, so of our, was, one of our one of our best contractors on that note is they were so good in one of our markets. We're actually in the middle of considering an acquisition of that business and spinning it up in all our other markets where we have a lot of density. Uh, so, you know, when you, I completely agree with you. So, <laughs> so what, uh, give me the single lesson that you learned from that experience. Trust, but verify um, is definitely uh, one of those things that sounds real obvious, especially in this space. But, you know, I think for, for us, we're, everything we've done so far has been a, this really has never been done before. There's no blueprint uh, to scaling short-term rentals, but, you know, we, we learn and we live and, you know, or you live and you learn and you start thinking about how you can solve those things. So today we have checkpoints, we have cameras are the first things that go up on our houses. We have noise monitoring devices. Uh, we use effective technology. We have market managers and general managers in our marketplaces. So we can go get eyes on them as needed. Uh, we visit our homes more often. Right. Uh, we call it owner's eyes, um, you know, those types of things. But uh, those are things that just naturally, you know, happen. Also, it's a lot less likely to happen once you have density in a market, because now we, you know, in one of the markets, we have 40 plus properties. Like we control a lot of those dynamics that happen there. Um, and a lot of natural resources come to you from people who tell you what's going on in that market on the ground. Yeah. Now, trust but verify. I feel like that is a very good lesson to uh, to implement if you are not doing that yet. So good lesson learned. Moves us to the last question, and this is for the listeners. You've given us a lot of good wisdom. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you, learn a little bit more about what you guys do. Um, So what's the best way for people to reach out? They can visit techbester.com, learn a little bit more about us. I'm on LinkedIn. Our entire team is a resource. We'd be happy to uh, educate you on why we believe short-term rentals are the next institutionalized asset class of the future. 
There you go. That is techvestor, T-E-C-H-V-E-S-T-O-R.com. I'll put that link in the show notes. So if y'all want to reach out to see if just click a little more in the description, it'll pull down the full description and in there you can find his link. All right, man, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Gabe. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe, the real estate investing club.com. And if you guys want to support the show, all we ask, give us a like, subscribe, share all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.